chapters fourteen and fifteen of recollections of napoleon at st helena by elizabeth balcom abel this librivox recording is in the public domain fourteen hark to the boatswain's call the cheering cry while through the seaman's hand the tackle glides or schoolboy midshipman that standing by strains his shrill pipe as good or ill betides and well the docile crew that skilful urchin guides byron when mountains tremble and the birds plunge in the clouds for refuge and withdraw from their down toppling nests and bellowing herds stumble o'er heaving plains and man's dread hath no words ye who have known what tis to dote upon a few dear objects will in sadness feel such partings break the heart they fondly hope to heal byron napoleon was fond of sailors and liked entering into conversation with the young midshipman who conducted the fatigue parties at longwood on one occasion a remarkably handsome and high-born young reefer attracted his notice from the activity he displayed in setting his men to work in erecting a commodious marquee out of a studding sail he inquired his name and when he heard it was the honourable g c he remarked that he was one of the very few instances in which he had observed high birth combined with so much amiability and intelligence we told the emperor we had the pleasure of being acquainted with the young middy he so much admired and that he was the most popular of any of his young companions in the ward-room i related to the emperor our first introduction to him which was on our return from the admiral's ball when we saw him elevated in a cart surrounded by his brother middies shouting at the top of his voice lord w s carriage stops the way and true enough the way was stopped as the cart had been dragged by some of these wild boys within the arch of the castle through which we had all to pass on our road homeward the next time we heard of him our sympathies were excited by hearing he had narrowly escaped being drowned and afterwards being very nearly shot when rowing guard one night the surf was dangerously high compelling his boat to keep off shore and when hailed by the sentry the roaring of the sea against the iron girt rocks prevented the countersign from being heard the guard then fired in amongst the crew but our gallant young friend most providentially escaped with his life we concluded our history of the middy by telling napoleon that his talent was equally distinguished in performing his duties either on sea or land and that sir pulteney malcolm had made a farmer of him entrusting to his management the superintendence and cultivation of one of the government farms the admiral declared he had never before seen such vegetables produced on the sterile rock of st helena napoleon's concluding remark was that whatever british sailors took in hand they never left undone when we were visiting madame bertrand's we always passed our sundays as if at home reading the lessons for the day and observing the prayers etc one sunday morning napoleon came bustling in and seeing me very earnestly employed reading aloud to my sister asked what i was so intently engaged upon and why i looked so much graver than usual i told him i was learning to repeat the collect for the day and that if i failed in saying it my father would be very angry i remarked i suppose you never learnt to collect or anything religious for i am told you disbelieve the existence of a god he seemed displeased at my observation and answered you have been told an untruth when you are wiser you will understand that no one could doubt the existence of a god my mother asked him if he was a pedestinarian as reported he admitted the truth of the accusation saying i believe that whatever a man's destiny calls upon him to do that he must fulfil 
dr o'mara often amused us by recounting conversations he had with the emperor respecting priestcraft one anecdote is impressed on my recollection from the amusement it afforded a poor erring monk having paid the debt of nature a funeral oration was delivered by a brother priest to a large assembled congregation the holy father proceeded to inform the multitude that the soul of the departed had to appear before the judgment seat there to render an account of all its past actions that being done the evil and the good were then separated and thrown into opposite scales in order to see which preponderated the good deeds were so few that the scale flew up and the poor soul was condemned to the regions below and conducted by devils to eblis's dread abode there to be tormented with fire unquenched unquenchable around within his form to dwell the flame had reached his feet and legs and was proceeding to envelop his wretched body when he sinking into the bottomless pit with but his head above the liquid fire cried out oh my patron saint save me take compassion on me and throw into the scale of my good deeds all the lime and stone that i gave to repair the convent his saint listened to the supplications of the tortured one and gathering all the materials the monk had collected to build and adorn his monastery did as he desired and threw them into the scale of good which immediately had the effect of overbalancing the evil and the sinner's soul was taken to paradise that moment the moral meant to be conveyed was how useful to that poor sinner's eternal salvation was his having kept his convent in repair for had he not bestowed all that lime and stone his soul would have been to this day consuming in the fires prepared for the devil and his angels billiards was a game much played by napoleon and his suite i had the honour of being instructed in its mysteries by him but when tired of my lesson my amusement consisted in aiming the balls at his fingers and i was never more pleased than when i succeeded in making him cry out one day our pass from sir hudson lowe only specified a visit to general bertrand but my anxiety to see napoleon caused me to break through the rule laid down and the consequences of my imprudence were nearly proving very serious as my father all but lost the appointment he then held under government i had caught sight of the emperor in his favourite billiard-room and not being able to resist having a game with him i listened to no remonstrance but bounded off leaving my father in dismay at the consequences likely to ensue instead of my anticipated game of throwing about the balls i was requested to read a book by dr warden the surgeon of the northumberland that had just come out it was in english and i had the task of wading through several chapters and making it as intelligible as my ungrammatical french permitted napoleon was much pleased with dr warden's book and said his work was a very true one i finished reading it to him whilst we remained with madame bertrand in the cool of the evening we used to have chairs brought out and placed on the lawn leading to the billiard-room under the gumwood trees and the countesses bertrand and montelon with their husbands and children my sister and myself would remain for hours after sunset listening to the thousand crickets with which the ground at longwood seemed alive the moonlight nights were remarkably beautiful at st helena the blue of the sky so deep and clear that it would be difficult to imagine any scene more solemn and imposing than the appearance presented by the landscape on such occasions either the stars shine brighter in that firmament and the moon seems fuller and more lustrous or it may be that the recollection of those joyous days had no cloud to dim their radiance it was one of these splendid starry nights and at the time we were on a visit to madame bertrand that the party was grouped about some seated on the steps of the billiard-room others in the garden enjoying the cool refreshing breeze 
the day had been one of the most sultry ever experienced within the recollection of the oldest inhabitant of st helena suddenly we heard a lumbering heavy noise as if loaded wagons were rumbling over the ground immediately under us those seated near the billiard-room sprang up aghast thinking the house was falling about their ears dr o'mara and major blakeney who was appointed captain of the guard at longwood rushed immediately from their rooms expecting to find the ladies half dead with fear all the household some of whom were in bed ran out in the greatest alarm some were gazing up at the sky others looking stupefied with wonder and amazement as to what had caused such a commotion little tristram montelon who had some time previously retired to rest came screaming to his mother declaring that somebody had been trying to throw him out of bed the cause of our terror proved to be an earthquake the only one remembered to have occurred at st helena for nearly a century the horror this event occasioned us all can only be conceived by those who are acquainted with the island more especially was the alarm felt by those whose friends and relatives were residing in any of the valleys so narrow and wedge-like in their form and flanked as they generally were by tremendous overhanging precipices at the summit of which enormous loose rocks threatened continual destruction to those who were beneath it was observed at the time that had the shocks been lateral instead of perpendicular those who resided in the valleys must have been destroyed by the vast boulders of stone which would have fallen from the mountains above napoleon had retired to bed and it was not till the next morning that we saw him he asked us if we had been frightened by the tremblement de terre on the previous evening observing that i looked pale and quiet he mentioned to general bertrand that he at first thought the conqueror a seventy-four lying in the harbour had blown up and that the great powder magazine had exploded but on feeling the third shock he perceived it to be an earthquake it lasted from sixteen to eighteen seconds many people fancied the rumbling noise they had first heard to be thunder but when it was remembered that such a phenomenon as thunder was never heard nor had lightning ever been seen since the discovery of st helena that idea was abandoned thunder and lightning had never been known to disturb the harmony of the climate to account for this it is said that the electric fluid is attracted by a high and conical-shaped mountain called diana's peak and conducted by it into the sea i was too much alarmed after the occurrence of the earthquake to go to bed for many nights seeing me one day unusually low-spirited napoleon inquired what could possibly have happened to drive away the dimples from my usually riant face has any one run away with a favourite brote de bal or is the pet black nurse old sarah dead what can have occurred i told him it was neither one thing nor the other but simply that our kind lady governess mrs wilkes had left the island and such demonstrations of grief had never before been seen at st helena she was so beloved people of all ranks and ages crowded to the castle to say god bless you and a safe and happy voyage home not a dry eye was to be seen amongst the crowd then collected that leave-taking of our much-loved and respected governor and his family resembled more a funeral than a levy so sad and solemn was every face i fancy i can see them now following the party to the beach as they embarked in the barge that conducted them on board the havana and when the noble frigate spread her canvas to the swelling breeze that bore from the little rock those who had contributed so much to the happiness of its gratefully impressed inhabitants groups of sorrow-stricken ladies were seen wandering under the pebble trees of the sisters walk watching the vessel as she lessened from their tearful gaze bearing on board a family who had rendered themselves so popular by their urbanity and kindness which is even remembered to this day 
i recounted the scene we had witnessed and suffered with the rest to the emperor he was quite interested in the recital and regretted much not having been acquainted with the lady governess as she must have been so very amiable napoleon's hour for rising was uncertain though generally early it much depended on the rest he took during the day or the sultry state of the weather occasionally he would sleep for an hour or two on the bench under our trellised grape-walk at the briars and when he awoke refreshed would write or dictate away for hours together sometimes he would diversify his occupation by riding round our lawn on his beautiful black horse hope the name pleased him it was the first he had ridden on the island and he liked the augury after his long day sleeps he would court the drowsy god at night by desiring marchand to read to him until the sweet restorer nature's soft nurse came to his aid frequently when the nights were illumined by the splendid tropical moon would he rise at three o'clock and saunter down to the garden long before old toby the slave had slept off his first nap and there he would regale himself with an early breakfast of delicious fruits with which our garden abounded our old melee was so fond of the man bony as he designated the emperor that he always placed the garden key where napoleon's fingers could reach it under the wicket no one else was ever favoured in the like manner but he had completely fascinated and won the old man's heart and napoleon looked upon toby with a kind of romantic interest as one who had been cruelly wronged in his youthful career after these early risings he generally fasted until eleven when he would breakfast a la fourchette with his suite he usually ate very fast but did not admire highly seasoned dishes he preferred a roasted leg of mutton to any other english joint and i have often seen him take the knuckle in his hand and pare off all the brown part of it napoleon had some very beautiful seals and rare coins from which he good-naturedly employed himself in taking off impressions in sealing-wax whilst he was thus engaged i once mischievously jogged his elbow and caused him to drop the hot wax on his fingers it was very painful and raised a large blister but he was so very good-natured about it that i told him i was quite sorry for what i had done whereas had he been cross i should have rejoiced fifteen and thou dread statue yet existent in the austerest form our nation's foes lament on fox's death a bust delayed a book refused can shake the sleep of him who kept the world awake byron it was not long after napoleon had been at longwood that chance took him in one of his rides to a romantic glen named the friar's valley a wildly picturesque spot so called from the peculiar formation of a huge rock fashioned by nature's hand into the figure of a monk with his cowl thrown back dressed in flowing robes with a rosary at his side he forms a peculiar feature in the grotesque scenery with which great part of the island abounds that immediately around it consisting of stupendous sterile rocks detached by deep and frightful ravines some rising perpendicularly many hundred feet and here and there are seen bare masses of stone towering aloft with flowering aloes bursting forth from fissures in their iron-coloured sides i have endeavoured to convey in the annexed sketch some faint idea of this romantic though desolate-looking valley napoleon had heard of the legend connected with it and asked me if i had ever seen the will-o'-the-wisp which he was told lighted the old friar's lantern i said i had been often frightened by it for when quite a little child my mother thinking the air on the mountains purer than that of st james valley generally sent me thither under the care of an old negro nurse who resided in a little cottage directly overlooking the vale oftentimes would she threaten if i did not repeat my letters correctly to give me to the monk who would carry me off in his lantern 
i perfectly recollect how heartily the emperor laughed at my describing the tricks i played on old sarah i had a box of letters which was her daily duty to see me arrange and place in alphabetical order my great fun was to turn them topsy-turvy at the same time keeping them quite straight when i placed them properly i arranged them unevenly but the dear old nurse who did not understand a letter in her alphabet was certain to commend me for the neat arrangement i had effected but i was threatened with the friar when my lesson presented an untidy appearance however right it might be the story attached to the valley was this the place where the friar now stands was supposed once to have been the site of a roman catholic chapel adjoining which was the residence of the officiating priest a monk of the franciscan order who was considered an example of christian piety and humility his life being passed in the performance of acts of charity and benevolence such as attending the sick relieving the oppressed and often did he interpose his charitable interference between the severe taskmaster and his wretched slaves when the latter were condemned for some trifling offence to undergo fearful mutilations or the cruel lash thus in acts of piety this man of god pursued his way blessing and blessed till his senses became enthralled by the surpassing beauty of a mountain nymph who dwelt in a cottage not far removed from the friar's lonely habitation it was in one of his rambles in search of some object of charity that his eyes first encountered this lovely daughter of the atlantic isle tending a herd of her father's mountain goats they had strayed so far that she had vainly tried to collect them and was returning tired and sad to her dwelling when encountering the monk she humbly told her tale and asked his assistance it was readily accorded for who could resist such an appeal enhanced by so much beauty the scattered flock was reunited and the young girl gracefully acknowledging his service with a light heart returned to her home it would have been well for the good father had that interview been the last but fate ordained it otherwise again and again he sought her mountain cot pouring into the maiden's ear his tale of love and adoration and finally besought her to be his bride she promised but on one condition only to listen to his suit he must renounce his creed and become of her faith upon these terms alone would she consent and until he had resolved thus to prove his devotion must not hope to see her again the struggle was a fearful one in the breast of the monk but love triumphed in the end he forsook the faith of his fathers broke his vows and became a renegade in due course of time the wedding-day was fixed the ceremony was to be performed in that very chapel which had so often re-echoed the apostate's pious prayers for his suffering flock and the bride accompanied by her attendant maidens approached the altar the service was read and just as the bridegroom was clasping the hand of his beloved a fearful crash resounded the rock was rent asunder and every vestige of the chapel and of those it contained forever disappeared in its place stands the gaunt image of the grim friar an example and a sad warning to those who suffer their evil passions to prevail over their better judgment i remember one morning seeing the emperor much moved he had been exhibiting a marble bust of the king of rome which had been sent to him by the empress marie louise he took us out into his bedroom to inspect them and we were loud in our praises of the beauty of the child who could have furnished the sculptor with so attractive a subject for his classical art napoleon gazed on it with proud satisfaction and was evidently much delighted at our warm encomiums upon its loveliness my mother told him he ought indeed to exult at being the father of such a beautiful creature as that boy must be smiles seemed to light up his face and my mother often said she never saw a countenance at the time so interestingly expressive of parental fondness 
the bust of the young napoleon was the size of life exquisitely chiselled in white marble and on it was inscribed napoleon francois charles joseph etc it bore the decoration of the grand cross of the legion of honour it was sent mysteriously to napoleon and arrived in charge of a sailor who had received it through the orders of marie louise the sculptor resided at leghorn and the empress had it conveyed to the gunner of a ship bound for st helena it was said as a silent token of her regard and unchanged affection for the ex-emperor when we had seen and admired this treasure madame bertrand invited us to accompany her and be charmed by the exhibition of a variety of presents from lady holland which had been sent out and had arrived only a few days before they offered a rich feast to my eyes such an assemblage of beautiful trinkets i had never beheld and i viewed them again and again in an ecstasy of delight lady holland was very kind to mesdames bertrand and montelon especially to the former and many were the grateful prayers i have heard her offer for the happiness of that excellent lady who evinced such true charity in displaying so many considerate attentions which could not but be highly appreciated under the circumstances napoleon when speaking of her ladyship always called her la bonne lady holland and expressed himself very grateful for her kindness and attention to him when abandoned by the world in that desolate island he remarked that all the members of the family of the great fox abounded in liberal and generous sentiments in speaking of that statesman he used to say he was sincere and honest in his intentions and had he lived england would not have been desolated by war he was the only minister who knew the interests of his country he said he was received with a kind of triumph in every city of the french empire and feted and welcomed by all its inhabitants every town he visited seemed to vie with the other which should offer him the greatest honours he related a circumstance which he said must have made a gratifying impression on the mind of that great man one day fox visited st cloud the private apartments of the palace there were never shown being exclusively kept for the use of the emperor however by some accident the minister and mrs fox opened one of the doors of the sanctum and entered there they beheld statues of the great men of all times and nations sydney hampton washington cicero lord chatham and amongst the rest his own which was instantly recognized by his lady who exclaimed my dear this is yours this little incident though trifling procured him great attentions and spread directly through paris End of chapters 14 and 15